All right, all right. We are back on the Virtus podcast, and this is one I'm really, really excited about, and I know a lot of our family are too. My special guest co-host with me today, Virtus head coach Mitchell Rowe. It's been a been a hot minute since you've been on the podcast. Yeah, nearly, nearly three years. Just uh, glad we finally got a change of host. You know, uh, people <laughs> get sick of hearing Lachlan's voice, so I get nice sick to have of a fresh voice. I get sick of it after about thirty minutes, so I couldn't um, bear to think what three years would do to people. Um, why so long? I haven't been asked. Yeah. Just just haven't been asked, so here we are. Fair enough. Tyler well, asked, I said yes. Easy as that. Would you like to fill in the family and perhaps the extended family that might not be in the inner sanctum of Virtus, might be listening from afar, what's been going on in your world since last on the podcast, 2019? 2019. Well, I finished my master's pre-COVID, so Amy and I went to Europe end of 2019. So towards November when COVID started to happen in Europe and then uh, finished off my research article at 5am after a few too many vodka Red Bulls. But hey, we got but it done. Master's finished. That's off. stock standard for you to be up till 5am though. That's not, that's not out of the ordinary. It's not, but it's a choice. It's a choice. So uh, yeah, take that off. So Master's of Applied Sports Science done. Um, still haven't got my article published, but my supervisor for my article... Actually, moved uni, so he's been a little bit challenging to get onto. So, what was your article on? I actually on, don't know this either. Yeah, it was on uh, movement screens and performance testing for injury risk assessment. I guess you could say it wasn't mitigation or prevention. It was did, just do these things actually tell us what we want them to tell us. Did you find much? Because I've got an opinion on this without actually doing the research. I don't think we can predict. But what do you reckon? We looked at it in specific cohorts. So there's so much research around. Um, that whole topic as as it is, but the really the only findings were that a box bridge or straight leg hamstring bridge is a preventative measure for hamstring injuries, which is common and we all know about. But for the rest, the research and commonly when you're talking about injury prevention and risk mitigation and things like that, there's it's multifaceted. So there's so many not confounding variables, but there's so many factors that make up when someone gets injured so again that's yeah, kind of it, what the research tells us and that's it, what my review told me as well so it's hard to put it down to you get injured because you didn't do this exercise yeah. or yeah like L- life's and i'm sure this is going to be the theme of some of the questions you ask me yep life is never as black and white as we want it to be nah. and there's never one way or one answer for every question um there's lots of things that make up those confounding factors i guess so yeah that's pretty much what it told me so I wouldn't say it was a waste of time. It was something that we probably and lots of people already knew about. Um, yeah. But it definitely, it gave me a little bit of an insight into that side of sports science and high performance of how do you collate and understand and gather research yeah. and put it into one succinct way that's easy to understand. And I believe that's a big part of the biopsychosocial bio-psycho, model. And that, say like, that three times fast. Yeah. Couldn't do it. Can barely say it <laughs> once. And that things like that are multifaceted, like life stress, food you eat, why you sleep, like it all has a pretty big part on water. the way on the way that Warty. Yeah, yeah. Just like, waiting for you to get it in there. So all has a enormous effect on the way the body behaves and it's just really you can't put things down to just not doing X exercise. No. Or whatever. No, and I guess this will I'm sure this will come up a few times as well. Exercise and performance is complementary to everything else you do. It's unless you're a strength sport athlete who needs to do a barbell deadlift, you're powerlifting, you need to do a deadlift, you need to do a back squat or Olympic lift, you need to do a clean. Exercise and performance training is complementary to everything else you do. It's yeah. it's a way that well, we spend 
40, 50 hours of our life a week doing, but realistically, for the most part, it's complementary to a thousand other things. So that's just kind of how it is sometimes. Totally. And then post-masters, um, I got, well, I was thinking and contemplating a PhD, um, but with everything else that I'm currently doing and still am doing, it would mean that I would have to sacrifice some of that. And Even without the things you're already doing, <laughs> fuck that. Nah, <laughs> I, I, I invest, I love that side of stuff. Yeah. I love getting nitty gritty and I love taking, you know, PhD could be up to six, seven, eight years sometimes. So yeah. I love taking the time to deep dive those things, but yeah, just bad timing. Uh, I nearly, and I'm still contemplating it, but I had one that was kind of offered to me or put in front of me um, at the trobe around ACL risk um, and just kind of the mechanisms of injury rather than how to prevent it. Uh, just understanding that a little bit further. And the reason that came up was a couple of girls who used to be at St. Kilda with the AFLW program had done an ACL and they were part of the study and um, they were just got into talking about mentioning that someone needed to take on that phd but uh yeah bad timing so may- maybe one day but not in the recent time that's for sure um expand upon your work with saints too good segue yeah segue uh, we love segues i this will be my i think it's my fourth year but it's like my fifth season i think actually before could diving be three, into that could be three and four it's still confusing because we've got two seasons this year and time just rolls into one since covid so i think it's, it's my blur. fourth year and fifth season but that could be completely wrong before you get into that, tell us about how you got the job because you've told me this and I, I love the story. It's uh... My partner's going to hate me for this. Amy's going to hate me for this and she does hate me for this actively. Is I've never really applied for a job per se and I talk about this a lot with our interns around networking and just connecting with people because, again, we love barbells, we love strength training, we love this and that but realistically we're in the people business. It's yep. We're not training the barbell, we're training the person. So my ability to kind of connect and communicate with people is probably something that I, I like to do and I love to do. Um, but yeah, that came about because 2018, and I do remember speaking about this on the podcast, so this is... Okay, so it's already been touched on. <laughs> no, no, Go. no, not not the job aspect, but yep. more the how it happened. I, uh, 2018, I went to America for three months by myself, uh, solo trip, did both coasts anyway. On the way back from that, I came in through Sydney to listen to Dan Paff do a seminar. Who, if you don't know Dan Paff, he's a world-renowned track coach. Um, okay. Potentially, even prior to COVID, it might have been the last time that he came out to Australia. So I definitely earmarked that as something to go to. Uh, and then at that seminar, I connected with a guy named Ben Frith, who's now the high performance manager at Saints. Who we kind of knew each other through high school. Went to the same high school, but he's five years above me, I think. But was in the track squad as well so we kind of knew each other but he was probably the, the big year 12 and i was a little little prep little dweeb yeah little dweeby year seven I'll, I'll cop that um so just got connected we knew each other um and then at that stage i'd only really done like my own kind of team sport stuff a little bit in cricket a little bit of athletics but no kind of mainstream sport i guess you could say um and i mentioned to him uh that i might be interested in getting into team sport and a couple of weeks later he sent me a message saying how hey, i got a job if you're, you're interested in it so we got together our favourite stomping ground, Common Folk, as oh, lots of business meetings happen. Lots of business meetings happen. Uh, and there, you just got chatting and, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like the rest it's, of this history. It's I a big testament to it's not what you know, it's who you know. Not saying you don't know shit, but it's, um, yeah, goes to show how important networking is. I'll cop the don't know shit thing too, don't worry. Uh, you know a bit. You gave me a drive by on the last podcast. I hate to say it. I was waiting for I, it. Don't, I don't recall it. Um, yeah. I don't know what else has happened since then. Just kind of. Just working away. I, yeah. I like, as most people will know and give me stick for, I like I like work. Um, 
got a few different roles, a few different jobs, but with all of that, I wouldn't do any of it if I didn't feel like I could manage it, but also if I didn't enjoy it. So Many fingers in many pies. Yeah, which which I like. So got here, got Saints, got a little bit of coaching at Frankston High, which I've been doing for longer than I've been at Virtus, actually. Yep. Um, got my own kind of online program, running programs, that kind of stuff. Uh, got some casual teaching, teaching at Deakin and... I think that's about it since since the last podcast. And you got a house and you got a new dog. That too. Got a house. Got another dog. Um, living out in Narnia, also known as Glide North. Yeah. Uh, the internet service is not great out there. So. <laughs> not and, much is And another dog, another burner. Yeah. Uh, Boston, who's who's a bit of an idiot, but we love him for we it. We love and Boston. He's, he's about. Uh, he checked in at fifty six kilos yesterday. Just big boy. One year old. So yep. yeah, he's a bit of a bit of a goofball. But that's a pretty good segue into coaching in the AFLW system what do you love about it and how does it compare to I guess the private system that we run here at Virtus um, my role at Saints is purely strength and power so Jazz who I'm sure we'll get her eventually on the podcast we might have as Lockie said her. we might have to tie her down to the chair but we'll get her we on. might have to drag her in and, and lock her to the chair but uh, we'll be getting her on eventually she looks after our rehab side of things and I look after all the strength and power stuff in the gym. So my role is get them strong, get them fast and don't break them. Um, Coaching-wise from the AFLW system, I think you have more touch points and this is what we're talking about. Previously to this year, they mainly were all part-time workers and part-time footballers uh, with a couple having a full-time job and football on top of that. But this year with the pay increase and stuff like that, there's... A little bit more girls focusing purely on football, which is going to be great for the game and great for the system itself. But previously to that, as we were speaking about before, like coaching the person, like a lot of the times they've come from a eight to ten hour day and they're mentally cooked, physically a little sore. Yeah. Like preseason for us is this year. Realistically, there's only eight weeks before we play a practice game, so it's not a lot of time to get in enough load so that they can manage and cope with the loads of the year. Um, so a lot of it is around just kind of people managing and knowing the person when you walk in there, they walk a little bit lower, you go, all right, you need a little bit of a chop out tonight. So yeah. a lot of the coaching in the AFL system in the system for me specifically is more just knowing the person and knowing what they need. Like realistically, as I said before, it's complementary to what they do there. And this is probably something for younger coaches that I love to talk about is because we love, no one loves our job as much as we love our job, but it's a really hard and something you need to learn early is that it is complimentary. So you need to take a step back and say, hey, these these girls here and these ladies, are, they're here to play football. So realistically, if they you know do half a gym session or they take a little bit of load off their main lift of that night or they take a set off this, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. matter. It doesn't. Yeah. They're going to feel better in the long run for not doing that because yeah. my job is to complement the on-field load and complement everything the physios, the high-performance manager, they're giving them. My job is not to take over that and be kind of the overarching thing. So early on, that was probably tough for me to learn and I'm sure lots of people go through that as well. Yeah, I'm still grasping it. Yeah, and like it's just one of those things that comes with doing it more often. So when we talk about coaching in the system, it's having the realisation to complement rather than trying to overtake. And, you know, we still chase like heavy strength gains. We're still trying to be fast and powerful, but... At the end of the day, sometimes you've just got to coach a person and say, hey, you need a little bit less tonight, so that's what we're going to deal with. So. Yeah, and that's one thing I've learned since starting here. Yeah, Over a year ago now, it's not necessarily physical prep business. It's just a relationship-building business. And, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, I think all the girls, like, and I've been there for three or four years now, maybe five, whatever it is. I think it's yeah. only four. I'm pretty sure it's four. Yeah. Five seems a bit excessive, but our kind of core group has changed a little bit over across the four years, but they're still... Um, that kind of set playing group as well. So 
they know me, I know them, they can come up to me and say, hey, I'm pretty fried and need a bit of a chop out, but at the same time, they can they don't necessarily have to tell me that. I can pick you up on those things. Yeah, yeah. You're, just, you're kind of reading the body language and the personality. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing from coming from an AFRW system. It's part-time, so you're yeah. just going to see them. That's so. something I found I struggled with when I first started at Virtus and still didn't really know. Many of the members on a deeper level were struggling to read them and yeah. pick up on those cues when they might be a bit flat, when they might need to pick me up, whatnot. Yeah, and but we yeah, have You metrics. just learn that with time. We have metrics that tell us these things as well, but at the end of the day, numbers are numbers and people are people. So, you know, our Nordic testing, it's it's going to give us an insight into their neural readiness, counter-member jump testing, their wellness they do daily, uh, their on-field load, conversations you have with them. So I'm kind of piecing all those pu- puzzle pieces together into one big picture and say, hey, what do you need right now? What's best for you to now? Sometimes that may be, hey, we're not going to gym tonight or hey, we're going to do half what we need to do or hey, you're feeling pretty good. Let's give you a little Let's bit. Let's ramp so it up. Yep. It's not just taking stuff away. It's just knowing the moment for what they need. Yeah. Question from BJ. Favorite Saints player? <laughs> well, I was going to say, I didn't know you were going to mention the name. So for BJ's sake, who did a little bit of off-season, well, did a lot of off-season training here, she wants me to say her, but my probably my favorite player is probably Darcy Guttridge. Uh, she's uh, Cop that. also known as BJ's partner. Yeah. Nah. You know, I'll sit on the fence and say they're all my favorite. I uh, don't necessarily have a favorite per se, but. Tell you what, whereas I'm in total disagreement, coaches have favourites. We have favourites. I do. Not going to say it on the podcast. Do I have a favourite? I don't think I do. No, like everyone else brings something different to the table. That's it. And I'm not just sitting on the fence. Everyone brings something different. And it was the same. It was the same when I was studying health and PE and was in the classroom. We have favourite students. Got favourite athletes. Um, switching the lens from. I guess team sport high performance to the private sector. Um, what Virtus athletes have been crushing it this year? We've had a fair few. And I guess having not a lot of, one, international competitions for obviously a couple of years, but also state and just local level competitions, you get to see the amount of work that people did put in through COVID come through. Um, mm. That's probably thing the, the biggest thing that I've noticed. If those that have been consistent and have stuck through their training and we all know COVID, it was a thing. It was difficult. You know, all we could do is kind of run and walk. And if you had yeah. strength staff and kettlebells, great, fantastic. But it's more the, the attitude towards training. And from a Virtus athlete point of view, I mean, you could name 20, 30, 40 that have done great the things. The stars, and, yeah. You know, recently, we've yeah. had, obviously, Ray, who's downstairs, is our Maya currently. Um, and Ali Lorenz, who's just been overseas, yeah. both for Oceania Champs. Uh, the AFLW draft was last night. So some of those girls have floated through Virtus um, across the last couple of months. And they got picked up. Um, I had a lot of, obviously speaking through COVID again, had nearly 600 people go through running programs and just the difference that that makes nowadays, just to, something they probably don't ever really notice, but yeah. the accumulation of them putting in work is making sport not better for them, but they're better for it, if that makes sense. And things like their recoverability, their ability to bounce back after big bouts, like that's highly indicative of your aerobic capacity yeah it's just resilience here to yeah. workload or stress yeah doesn't necessarily yeah. have to just be mental stress is what sometimes we can get kind of lost in that pathway of stress just being f- mental stress but it's also physical stress of being able to be resilient as you just said so yeah um the people you've just mentioned and the athletes that are the most successful what are the habits that you see amongst them like what is what does separate them from the rest that may not be seeing the results I would just say an acute awareness to what they need. Yep. Um, in that day, in that moment, what is best for them? Because, and I think the change 
and this is why COVID's probably potentially been a good thing is everyone had to stop. Right? We've all been go, go, go for so long. And yeah. Especially when, you know, you turn 17, 18, 19, you start to get a job and that, you know, starts to take over most of your life, whereas school is quite cruisy. You go through school 9 to 3.30. After school, have a nap, go to training, whatever you do there. For no more that Yeah, for more the older, not older, but over 18 demographic, everyone kind of had to stop for a little bit. So it allowed people to have a little bit of awareness when they need a little bit of a reset. Um, and I think that's probably been one of the biggest things I've noticed is sometimes client walks through the door and they go, hey, I'm going to do something else today. Like I, I need to change. Not from a change necessarily, I need a new program. It's, hey, I'm going to sit in the normal text today. Hey, I'm just going to go up in the summer yeah. or hey, I'm just going to go for a walk. Like, Yeah, that's it. And like, there is always something you can be doing no matter how you're feeling, um, which is something I've battled with with a lot of my younger guys in the last couple of months that may have little niggles and they might have sort of a parent or a, another coach to answer to. Like, how do you how do you go about in selling the value in, you know, there's always something you can do when you, because you made a post, you made a couple of posts on social media in recent times about training with injury. And then one of your biggest gripes is battening down the hatches and just doing nothing when injured. Yep. Um, how do we sell the value in that injuries are opportunities and there's always something you can do, um, especially to like younger guys that may not have that knowledge or may have a parent to answer to. Yep. Um, I guess there's two ways of looking at it. Let's say you're a 25-year-old weekend warrior local athlete who potentially has come from a background of not overly sure what recovery things are accessible to me. Whereas compared to, let's say, some of your 15, 16, 17-year-older athletes that we have here at the moment, they have seen this recovery stuff before and they're educated around what the benefits are. So if we're looking at that kind of, not necessarily older demographic, but those that potentially haven't been experienced and haven't had the insight into that recovery, it just comes from an education point of view. It's, oh, okay, I, I know that these things are available to me and re recovery isn't just an ice bath anymore. No, it's not just a put your feet up and have a breathe kind of thing. Yeah. Like those things are, and this is something we talk about a lot, is recovery is how you feel. And you mentioned this in the last podcast. Yeah. I listened, don't worry. <laughs> recovery is how it makes you feel. So for me personally, I love, I used to love ice baths. Um, even just jumping in an ice bath, that still makes me feel good now. And you mentioned about your ability to regulate stress and things like yeah. that. And I was kind of in the same boat. Whereas for some people, ice baths are horrifying and they make them feel like shit. It makes them feel worse. Yeah, yeah they so dread it. At the end of the day, recovery is how it makes you feel. So if that works for you, great. If it doesn't work for you, sure. Our, our biggest thing as coaches is to educate around the eight to 12 things that they have access to or could potentially do. And let's find out the one that works best for you. And when we're talking about injuries and things like that is programming for us is the easiest part of our job. Rocking up to work is the easiest part of our job. So when someone comes in and say, hey, oh, I've got a bit of a sore quad, a little hot spot on my quad, might be a little strained. Sure, easy to modify. So I think the education around the ability of the whole industry itself is programming is becoming easier for a lot more people. One, more access to resources. But two, at the end of the day, it doesn't necessarily matter what you do because we're all going to get the same outcome. Yeah. We trust in our education system and our background and not just coaches at Virtus, coaches from football backgrounds that they're starting to get more educated around what's best so that an athlete can take into account all these little factors and say, hmm, what do I need right now? So I guess it comes back to athletes being more self-aware. That's guess. it. That's probably the change that I've noticed the most in the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Like you know, I had young young Nicky Beattie in the other day. He'd um, jarred his back, so we just didn't put load through his spine. He still gained a heap of strength. There's always something you can do. You can just train Stitched around these things. Too, didn't you? 
Hey. Stitched him up too. May have forgot to upload his program. Sorry, Nikki. I'll, I'll look after him. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of the biggest thing is realistic out our industry and high performance sport, especially in Australia or just private sector, personal training, strength and conditioning, whatever, whatever name you want to put on it. It's still quite a new industry. So yeah. even from a general population point of view and when we talk about you're talking about juniors before who had parents who were involved, coming back to that. Coaching at Frankston High School now, when we first started our strength and conditioning training in the morning, uh, we call it Semper Squad, which uh, for those in Frankston High, I'll give a little giggle right now. Our school motto is Optimus Semper, which means best always. So Semper meaning always. Yeah. We want to, we started that, I think I came in maybe the second year of it. It would have been six or seven years ago now. It was quite fresh, quite new. And I remember doing it myself, um, maybe starting like year nine or 10 and we'd have four, six, eight, maybe rock up to these training sessions. Whereas now, like I've got 40 to 50 kids on a Thursday morning in a gym that all may have to get dragged out of bed to be there. But when they're there, yeah. they love being there. So I guess. So you've built a really, really good training, training environment in which people want to come to. Yes and no. Like, yeah, yeah personally, I love to think that, but also it's the education from the parents who have now grown up with it more that yeah. they go, Hey, this shit is really good. Yeah. So let's get my kids involved in it as well. And I think that's probably the shift that I've noticed in the last kind of six years Yeah, since I've been at Frankston is these numbers are growing, not because the facilities and the opportunities are more, it's more the education around, Hey, this is actually really good. Strength training isn't just getting jacked. It's, no. <laughs> this is going to make me feel good too. So the education from just the general population has probably changed over the last kind of four to six years. I mean, since I've been involved in the industry now, that's kind of changed and that's kind of boosted everything else around athletes being more self-aware because the education, not just from us, but from teachers, from their own parents, from their own sports coaches who have just been involved in this stuff more is now different to what it ever has been. So it's a great positive space for kids, especially. When you were discussing athletes crushing it at Virtus before, I noticed a bit of a lack of male representatives there. Did you want to highlight some differences that you may note between coaching females and coaching males? Because you obviously spent a lot of time with females yeah. at Saints and over years at Virtus too. Yeah, I, personally, I, I never really had a, what's the word I want to put on it? Not machoism. It's kind of like that, but never like a, it's a boyish behavior. What's the word for that? Give me a word. Being a rat bag. Yeah, being like, a rat bag. I was never like that. I was, yeah. Even as a person now, like, I'm still a little bit softer than what traditionally yep. a male coach could could be. Uh, I'm not saying that they're all like that, but for me personally, I have that little bit of a softer touch and my personality is a little bit more, despite country belief, is a little bit more quiet and a little bit more reserved. In the Find gym, it hard yeah, to believe. In the gym space, it's you kind of got to put on a facade. But Different masks for different yeah, personalities. Exactly. exactly. Yep. Um, my personality itself suits training females more because yep. for them, they're – they love learning, they love growth, they love development, where sometimes training males, they go, ah, yeah, I'm just going to do bench press and basket. Yeah. I know what I'm doing, I don't need to listen to this guy. Yeah. And for me, never coming up with a machoistic kind of behavioral outcomes, I guess you can say, just as a person, training females for me is not necessarily more comfier, but I can connect with them a little bit better. Um, and I guess it's great, especially at the moment with so much you know, research, development, funding you put it any tag on it you like being involved in female sport now especially at a junior level like it's a great space to be in and the only really changes you just have to be more conscious of like who they are where they come from whereas not stereotyping stereotyping men into this one bracket but typically they love dunking they love bench press they love bicep curls they love 
running fast. They love running lots. There's lots of yeah. we, we're very aggressive. That's just who we are when we uh, talk about sport. Yeah, a lot of energy, and that's something I've learned while coaching the young Mount Martha Junior Footy Club boys. I just I embrace that energy, and I just like to let them be boys. I like to yeah, like just, to like to let them have their dunk offs. Yeah, I sit in the corner and I just <laughs> coach my little clients. Like to let them break the lights with a uh, med ball keg toss. No, and and fe- training females, they're still. Super, super competitive. It's just a different way of being competitive. Yeah. It's not so in your face and involved. Yeah. It's more go about my work really well and then I'm going to show you, show it up to you. Yeah. Um, so training males and females is still very simple and still very similar in its like essence. It's just the way that you communicate and behave with them is potentially a little bit different depending on who's in front of you. Yeah. And like you speak about Nick before, Nick's not exactly the loudest kid going around. So the way that I communicate with Nick is similar to how I communicate with other male clients and other female clients is you, you just painted the picture yeah. to the person. Yeah. Different masks for different personalities. Yeah. And from a training point of view, like especially our girls are saying, they love getting jacked. They love doing their basket girls on their arm farm. <laughs> we actually, we had our Irish, one of our Irish recruits who we got over from West Coast in the gym on What's today? Today's Thursday, so it must yep. have been Monday night. First training session, first arm farm. And for those listening to the podcast who have done an arm farm before, it makes you feel pretty good, but yeah. it's it's quite taxing to the upper body. So all the girls are giving her a little bit of stick around her first arm farm and stuff like that. So they still love that side of things. It's just the way they go about it is different. So yep. from like a taking a step back perspective, not a lot really changes when you're coaching males and females. It's just... It's just a different way of doing it. Yeah, you you have to be a chameleon, basically. I love it. Yeah, that's something. That's something I think you taught me in the mentorship. Different. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Different personality. Yeah. You you adapt to the personality that they provide. Yeah, and for me personally, like, I'm quite an introverted person, but not many people will know that or believe me when I say that. <laughs> but I can sit on my own anywhere and just be content doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Whereas like inverter sometimes and you'll hear it <laughs> and people will tell you like, you got to be out there and I uh, definitely yell and yeah. scream. And you got to be able to flick that switch and yeah, exactly. so provide just, that energy. Just being chameleon, personality yeah. chameleon, whatever's right for the moment. And that's and that, not saying that I'm always right for the moment. Like I absolutely get it wrong sometimes and that's completely fine. That's just, wouldn't say it's normal or natural. It's just something that as it happens. So we got to adapt and overcome that. So. And that's needed to pick up the uh, energy on the gym floor too. Um, touch hooking back around to females, where you've said it's improving. Where has the industry gone wrong with it in the past? Female athletic development. Who knows? Haven't been around long enough. Yeah, because <laughs> like for me, like I've only had positive experiences because yep. there's more education, more exposure. Is probably a better word. Yeah, um, and well. It's probably that lack of education is where it's gone wrong in the past for mine. Because I'm still relatively fresh in the yeah, industry and I'm probably the same. I've only really had positive experiences and really, really good mentors to teach me the way. Um, yeah, I'm but, absolutely not qualified to talk about it. Yeah. Um, I'm sure if you get some of those you know, female athletes on, they'll, they'll talk for hours about it around you know things that could be better because we talk about exposure and education. It's sometimes you just don't know until you know. And it's hard to break that kind of barrier, especially would have been from like in a long time ago in the industry. But training females isn't calorie deficits. It isn't hip thrusts and, you know, booty bands. Yeah, yeah, booty bands. I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> booty bands, my, my pet hate. But it's not just evolved around that. Like it's just the exposure brings on the education and the education brings on the empowerment. So I, t- I couldn't tell you what goes wrong. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm qualified to say that either. But 
for me personally, like I've only ever had positive experiences in that space. Yeah, it's only so getting I. better. So yeah, I think that's a win. Onwards everyone. and upwards. That's a win for everyone. Um, for those that may be on the fence, uh, how do we convince those that it is valuable to invest in your development rather than just going to a commercial gym? How do we, yeah, how do we convince not just women but junior athletes, all athletes, to see the value in investing in their physical development? It's one thing to know what you want. It's another thing to know how to get there. So I guess our job is is bridging the gap between where you are now and where you want to be. Um, and for me personally, like high-intensity training, F45, BFD, whatever you want to call it, like gets a lot of stick from the S&C world for being shit training. But realistically for me, I couldn't care less. Like from example, one of my clients, and Lucky's going to hate me for saying this because it's not my business, but... From a business point of view, it's horrible to lose clients. But for me personally as a coach, like I don't mind if my client leaves here because they move somewhere else. Yeah. Location wise, let's say they move house, you know, closer to the city and then they go start training at F forty five or BFT. What I feel like I've taught them and empowered them to do is make good decisions, but also to be safe in one of those environments to go, Hey, this is still good training and I'm working out and I'm feeling great. For me personally, I, I don't care where someone trains as long as they're doing something. And that's sort of why my programming's sort of branched out a bit to include movements that in the past I may, I may have you know, shat on, such as yep. burpees, sit-ups, Russian twists. Yep. They're all back regularly in my rotation just for the sheer fact. I can't remember who brought it up. I was just listening to a podcast a few months ago and you don't know where your athlete or client might end up in the future. The best thing you can do is get them in a state that's robust enough that they are prepared for whatever that new coach may throw at them. Yeah, and good training is good training. Shit training is still training. Yeah. If you're still moving, the benefits of moving over not moving still outweigh the, the well, yeah. type of training you're doing. Yeah. And for me it. personally, like, and as I said before, if my client moves somewhere to, or to another gym or something like that for any sort of reason whatsoever, I don't necessarily care yeah. as long as, for me personally, I want them still to be doing something because I care about their health and lifestyle. Yeah. Like there are, there are far too many people not meeting the minimum physical activity movement requirements to yep. be putting barriers on what is good training, what is bad training, what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing. I think we just embrace all movement is good movement. Yeah, and like what is good for one person is not good for another. It yep. doesn't mean it's bad. And what's bad for some person is prove it. Tell me it's bad. Yeah. Bad training. But you can't. Okay, burpees for an example. Okay. Yeah, it's not necessarily the greatest exercise, but sometimes if you do 10 burpees, you get a little bit of sweat on. Yeah, Who cares? it's hard. Like, it doesn't matter. Movement's movement. Any more for any more on that? I don't think so. Really? I've got a little game to break up the uh, podcast. You don't know I'm doing this. It's a bit of word association. Um, My favourite. You, I am going to read out a bunch of words or phrases, sentences. You're going to give me the first Virtus athlete that comes to your mind when you hear each one. And there might be a, there might be a word such as disciplined and there's a lot of athletes that come to mind. I don't care. I just want to hear the first athlete that comes to mind when yes, you hear boss. each of the words. Yes, boss. All right. Disciplined. Shane Scott. It's all that coming. Funny. Funny. Finn Witty. Rule 11. Read your program. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> Tardy. Tardy. Late. Late. All of them. <laughs> The parents, Sophie Swanton. The parents are like okay. Yeah, Soph, so yeah, so will like that one. The parents have leeway. Soph has an eight-minute window. Yeah, we, we start training at six oh eight. If she's not here by six oh eight, in my mind, she's not coming. Used to be six oh four. That's <laughs> sort of push, been pushed out by a minute over the past few months. Uh, punctual. 
First person that comes to mind. Saying a lot about our yeah. member base. No, but there's there's lots that are always punctual. There's not someone that's every single time mm. punctual. And that's fine because life gets in the way. Yeah. Consistent. Cats one bar. Yep. <laughs> you Wise. saw that coming. Wise. Oh, well, give me some context. What wise do you want? You want life wise? Darren Murr's one that comes to mind. Jeff Deck. For me? Jeff yeah. <laughs> he might, he's not going to listen to this. He won't be listening. <laughs> Young Gun. Young Gun. Nick Beatty. Got nationals yes. this week. Good luck, Nick. Good luck, Nicky. Sunshine. Uh, Jamie Howlett. Yeah, good answer. Steph Nguyen for mine. Jamie's a good answer too. Most likely hey, to get famous. this is me answering the questions. Yeah. <laughs> you answering the questions. I'd just like to put my two cents in. <laughs> what was the next one? Most likely to get famous. For a good reason or a bad reason? You decide. Ooh, most likely to get famous. Let's go... Beck Wallace. Oh, boy. Anti-fragile. Mike Bazine. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's an inside joke. Do you know what anti-fragile means? Yeah, yeah, old, old hamstrings, Bazine. Uh, anti-fragile. Let's go with... <laughs> He's not going to like that either. Uh, this is tough. I need a list in front of me. Anti-fragile. Next one is peanut. Oh, half of them, all of them, you name it. Peanut. Uh, Matilda, Argus. Oh, <laughs> that's stiff. Corporate. <laughs> Jeff Deck. Most likely to get, most likely to get arrested. <laughs> Mike Bazane. Never leaves. No, nah, it depends. You're talking about across the years or in a session because that guy takes two and a half hours to do his sessions. Yeah. Never leaves. Who's been here since the start? Leroy Jenkins. Nice. Uh, and procrastinator. Oh, lots of them. Lots of them. I'm going to go with... I'm going to have to go with Sophie again. <laughs> I'm going to have to go Mike Bazine for the last no. three. <laughs> it's hard with a list in front of you because when you get on one, you go, yeah, because we all have the same things that we do. Now, I'm not going to read all of them again, but just for your Saints girls now, disciplined. Oh, catch you. Funny. <sighs> Jess Matten, that hurts me to say. She'll get it. Tardy. Yeah. Liv Vesley. Consistent. Oh, this is tough because they're all pretty good. Okay. You don't get, you don't become an athlete like that yep. without being consistent. Yep. So, yep, fair enough. Peanut, <laughs> Jess Mountain again. Most likely to get arrested. Oh, I'd say Tilly, but we just traded Tilly to Hawks, so I'm gonna have to go. Yes, yeah, gonna be Jess Mountain again. <laughs> and procrastinator. None of them really procrastinate. Yeah. We don't have time to procrastinate. Same thing. I guess if you're at that level, you're not fucking around. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like, we you know, we're in a, we get to, our meeting starts at 5.30. We're off the track by 7.30, 7.45. We're out there by nine. So it's not exactly a environment where you can No time to fuck around yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. Hey, um, few dot points from the Virtus members. We briefly touched on your pooches before. How are yours so well trained at keeping off the black matting, which is essentially where all the squat racks and big lifting happens? Like, you, you're all over that, and a lot of the other first dog owners all, are not over that. First of all, I'd rather not have my dogs, who not exactly the cheapest dogs in the world. Also, I don't want them to cop a barbell in the head, and yeah. I have to take them to the vet. So, but a question for you: How do we change behaviour? 
reward good behavior. Exactly. Consistency. Yeah. So from the start, it's just training. Dog training is super simple. Would you say dog training is like human training? Absolutely. I was just about to go there. It's consistent. It's rewarding good behavior. It's understanding bad behavior, but not shaming bad behavior. Wait, you got to bring him back in line. So early on, set standards. How have you created a gym culture? Because you're part of the furniture here. How have you created a gym culture in which everyone feels comfortable? It just comes down to being a personality chameleon again. I know for some people, I've got to get up and about. And I was saying this to a couple of our interns last week, week before, when I had our mother. I had the under-18 Matt Martha girls in. Yep. One of them, Matt Harrington, I would say this to. He'll like a shout out. Saying this to Matt, that sometimes in those environments, for me, like I've got to go full white girl. And I'm yeah. so okay with that. And his comment was, you know what? You're pretty good at that. So, But for a bunch of under-18 girls who are doing potentially a one-off session or they're not here consistently, it's making this environment feel comfortable for them to be themselves, but also to have a little bit of fun and enjoyment depending on what they need. And you get a vibe of the group and you just got to pick out a few of them that you go, all right, you're the troublemaker. You're the one that's off with the fairies. Uh, you're the leader. You yeah. just find out those people in the group and your leadership style. That's you funny. They are, bring them in. They're the three personality types I've picked too. Yeah. A peanut, the captain, and then maybe someone that's not, yeah, quite, we, not quite all there. In that underrated group, we have one that... Just completely off with the fairies all the time. Yep. And not because she didn't want to listen to me. That was just who she was as a yeah. person. Just off with the fairies. And it was so funny because as soon as I said something, off with the fairies she went. And it just became a thing for the night where you just let her know that she wasn't listening again. <laughs> she could tell that it was getting to her. No, that's great. But oh. no, with that comfortability, I mean, like being here for, this is coming, I think it was about six years I've been here for now. Like Ooh. we probably had 500, 600, I don't know what the number is. Hundreds of clients come through Virtus who all come from different walks of life with different backgrounds and different personalities and different approaches to training. Some people may have negative training experiences before. So when it comes to creating an environment, it's about creating a positive environment for that person. And for someone who asked that question, I know who asked that question, she is more quiet and reserved. So for me, I'm not going to be in her face and yelling at her and telling her to go do this. You just let her cruise through her session because that's what she enjoys. Whereas for some people, you've got to get yourself up and about and go, wait, I need you to bring you with me. Let's let's go for a ride. And it's me being a little bit silly, a bit yelly, a bit, yeah. bit not necessarily in their face, but being a little bit more energetic. So it's just knowing when to push, when to not, and just who's in for your environment and what each person needs. Because just because there's eight different personality types, it doesn't mean you have to pick one out and go, hey, I'm going to be this person for the hour. It's you turn yourself on and on. And for me, how I do that is you're good. You, you got everything you need. Like it's just making little checkpoints to say, I'm still here if you need me. It's not. And we're talking about coach position with our interns as well. Like where you position yourself on the floor is super important when you're managing. I know for our system, we have VDT who's group training. Everyone does the same program, whether you've trained for six, seven, eight years, 10 years plus, or it's your first week. It's the same program. So for those people who are new to training, it's still potentially a bit confronting. So, mm. Hey, I'm here for you if you need me. Whereas, yeah. We have VAD, so everyone's on their different programs. And, you know, we're trying to, my person, my person, my coaching way is basically being a traffic manager and putting everyone in their little spot so they can do about their thing as best they want, but still being, hey, I'm here if you need me. And being in a position where I can see everyone and doing everything. I'm not, you know, stuck in the middle of the racks. I'm on the turf mainly just kind of watching over everyone. Um, so that guess that comes back to the comfortability yeah. part. Yeah, that's something I've had to learn too is how to be a bit more soft-spoken and cater to I guess that personality type because that's something I'm really bad. I'm really bad at going, you know, there, there, and <laughs> I don't you know, say I go there, there. I, <laughs> tough love is not also that horrible sometimes. 
Um, yeah, I, I probably much prefer to be a bit of a rat bag and like I, I enjoy having those groups of young boys and being a bit of a rat bag with them because it's probably indicative of what I was like in school too. Yeah, I need um, like but, three coffees to be able to yeah. do that. I don't know if it's just me getting old and but, cynical, but, uh, but I need a few uh, espressos to get myself for that one of those ones. A few, uh, a few new tropics. Yeah, Sean, shout out. Um, why oh, we've we have touched on this, but again, why is a coach and athlete relationship so important for success? Our job is complimentary. Yeah. So we're talking about success. Success is what you define it as first. Whether that is, and we speak about a lot, a lot of this when we go into schools and stuff. We talk about health, function, and performance. For me, I don't currently play sport anymore. For most of the kids, there's always one or two in the class that don't play sport. So for us who come from Virtus Performance, it seems like it's all strength and training and athletic yeah. base. Whereas for my mum and dad who don't play sport anymore either, performance is not an athletic endeavour. It's no. getting out of bed in the morning without back pain and be able to walk around all day. So for that environment, it's, okay, what do you need best? Um, do you need to have a little bit of you know hip mobility? Do you need to run fast and when we're talking about that coach-athlete relationship, it's what do I think you best need? What do you think you best need? Let's join them together and let's work out a little bit of plan and a process. And when we're in a service-based industry, our job is to deliver results no matter what they look like. And for some people, that may be weight loss, muscle gain, something like that. Some people may be getting out of pain. The coach-athlete relationship is strengthened by knowing the person, getting results, and then being able to communicate with them and say, hey, you're drifting outside where we think you said, well, let's bring you back in. And I think that's something that probably being in a service-based industry, a lot of people struggle with is I don't want to lose a client. Whereas sometimes you need to lose a client because that's the best thing for them. Yeah, And that's happened numerous times over the last few years where, and again, it's not my business. So from a financial point of view, I'm you know not, not so well off here and lucky will, will hurt me for this. Ah, but sad. sometimes losing your client is the best thing that can happen for you because regaining some of the energy back that you're having to give to this, that person allows you to give it to six other different people yeah. as well. So it's not all about gaining more members and you know putting more weight on the bar or anything like that. It can sometimes be the opposite way. So it both serves you. But the best way for us is to realize, what do you need now? Bridge that gap between where you are and where you want to be and then let's put a little plan together. Yeah. And if that plan gets cracked halfway down and it stops you know, becoming viable, then... There's no point walking our head, uh, our feet through the sand or through feet through the mud. It's what do you need? Yeah. When I was personal training in Ballarat, there was nothing better than losing a client that probably just we weren't serving each other, and then energy could be better directed exactly. into other places. Exactly. And you know, there's a everyone's going to fall off the the, the uh, train lines. Mm. Our job sometimes is to bring them back on, or our job is to find a different line for them to get on. Yeah. And as we're coming back to you know people finding different gyms and stuff like that, it's what best serves them. So. Yeah, that's my kind of philosophy, I guess you could say, on that, that stuff. You briefly touched on our client base isn't just people playing sport, but yep. also yeah, elder people too that may not be playing sport anymore. I mean, we've got a good 50-50 split of people that are training for a sport or just general population just wanting to move pain-free and do the things they love. Don't know who wrote this question. Feelings on Mother's Club taking over the gym. Mother's Club? Everyone has a mother's club meeting. Don't know who wrote it down. That's what this whole room is for. It's for our mother's club meeting. Yeah. Uh, mother's club. I don't know who's involved in mother's club. I've, I might have been out of the depths here with uh, who's yeah. involved in mother's club. But hey, yeah. everyone loves Join a bit club. of a chat. And Virtus is not here just for performance and strength training and 
pushing the prowlers and moving the ropes and skipping. Virtus is a place where people can come and be a community or be a part of a community that they can feel involved in. So sometimes, and you know, again, this is something that's kind of challenging to learn early on is we all want them to do their reps, do their sets, add more weight or anything like that. Sometimes they just want to flow through their just session. Just want to come and, and hang. Let yeah. Just yep. let them go because that's what they need today. So yeah. it comes back to that argument again. How do we normalize failing lifts or exercises? No other context than that. No, 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 I, like I reckon Steph Proce- wrote that down. Pro- processing an answer. Yeah. Uh, failure is not a bad thing. <laughs> failure is a teaching and a learning experience. But failing a lift means, hey, I'm going to give this a crack and it's a mental grind. We've both failed lifts. Yeah. Never happy about it, but it's a learning experience. Go, hmm. Because when we talk about lifting specifically and failing lifts, it's like driving a cup. The faster you go, the more likely you're going to have an accident. Same with lifting. The heavier you go, there's more likely that something's going to go wrong. I'm not saying you're going to blow your spine out or it's an injury, but something from your technique may get brought to the surface and go, oh, this is stopping me from doing a lift. So, oh, now I learned from that. So normalizing and it's knowing the moment again because some people are okay with failing and some people hate failing. And Jed, yesterday, work experience kid, Jed Sevenhausen, he has trained here before and I know Jed loves success and loves doing things and I gave him a challenge for yesterday morning was you've got to hit, you've got a cake toss, a three kilo ball into the roof. I swear he did 300 reps. So Jed specifically doesn't like failing and not saying failure is a negative thing. He doesn't like achieving the outcome. Whereas for me, like if I, you know, get to the bottom of a bench and, you know, lose it halfway and ends up flat on my chest, I'm so okay That's with okay. that because... Yeah. Oh, uh, sure. All right. I did this. I did that. All right. I need a better for the next time. So there's, you know, different ways to approach failure, I guess you could say. And it's from a coaching point of view, it's knowing how do you, one, how do you learn? Because some people like to see what they did wrong. Some people like to feel what they did wrong. Some people like to be told what they did wrong. That also goes the other ways. Everyone might not like that. You might not like to be told where you go wrong. But also, it's how do you best. I guess, rebound from failure. What do you need? Do you need another set to give it a crack? Do you need to go down a little bit of weight? Shane's a good example of this. Actually, Shane Scott. Sometimes, he, uh, the last couple, I've been giving him some pretty nasty heavy front squats and cleans and he gets a little crappy about his power cleans. But for him, he's going to strip off 5, 10, 15 kilos, whatever it is, and he's going to give it another crack and he's going to add the weight back on. Yeah. So from a coaching point of view, it's, gonna, it's just knowing the person. What, what do they need? It's a mindset thing. You, you can either see it as a failure or as a learning opportunity, as yep. an opportunity for growth. Like for me, there's nothing better than a deadlift that's stapled to the ground and not coming up because it just lo- sort of lights a fire underneath you. And it's like, fuck yeah, let's yeah, let's go hard for the next few weeks and get this. Yeah, yeah so it depends on how you approach it. Didn't always used to be like that. A lot of broken tennis rackets. And spines and shoulders, but let's not go into that. <laughs> Especially shoulders. Rubber shoulders. What's next for Mitchell Rowe in 2022 and beyond? 2022. Well, we are week... I think this is the halfway point of 2022. Give or take a week or so. It is. Tomorrow's the first. Yep. It is quite literally the halfway point. So for me personally, not a lot will change. Um, no massive endeavours. Amy's gone a few holidays, so I'll have to keep the house cool. tidy, keep the dogs in check. Um, and it'd be tidier without her there. Yeah, I might try and get away towards the end of the year, but from a work and point of view, it'll probably be this is week three, end of week three of our preseason for Saints. So putting together a good little seven week period here where we're progressing because our, our whole thing is just getting better every day. That's our kind of motto for this year is getting better every day. 
whether that's football specific or physical or anything like that. So for us and for me, it's putting together a good pre-season and then going into a 10-round season. So that'll kind of be most of what I do. For Virtus, it's, you know, keeping clients happy and getting clients further towards where they want to be. Um, go back to teach a deacon in a couple of weeks, so that'd be good too. Um, taught through COVID, so it was a little bit online. Um, had to use you as a skinfold model one day, so it'd be nice to do oh, that in yeah. person. That was lockdown, wasn't it? Yeah, that was lockdown. Yeah. yeah, so did some teaching through last year in lockdown, which is... If you're a teacher out there, it was a little bit of a struggle at times to get yourself up. But Couldn't think of anything worse. For me personally, it was hard enough as a student. <laughs> I didn't do a lot of Zoom, so I didn't get Zoom fatigue, but it is more harder to uh, not impress, uh, imply, employ your yeah. knowledge on other people. So looking forward to get back to Deacon. That's about it. Athletics pre season is about to start as well, so we'll have yeah. some athletes come through here. Frank's and okay. I, normal. Just keep the kids having fun, get more people healthy. That's probably Pretty one fun. thing we didn't touch on. Um, Deacon, how did you find the old online COVID learning experience or teaching experience? Uh, across was, the that always, was that something you always wanted to get into, like university lecturing? Not Tutoring? necessarily until I kind of went through uni. And I love teach, teaching people, but I didn't necessarily realise that uni was an option probably. Um, yeah. That it's... Not super easy to get into teaching at uni, but realistically, you only need to do the degree or one above. I think it's one above. Do the degree, one degree above what you're teaching. Is that another case of not what you know, but who you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, masters, my masters uh, course coordinator, and put up a little group in our LinkedIn, uh, Lucky's favorite uh, online platform. <laughs> put in a post on our LinkedIn saying, "Hey, we're looking for casual demonstrators for uni for this semester." And at that time, it was COVID, so life wasn't yeah. as busy. Why not? Um, so yeah, why not throw my hand in the ring and yeah, just keep filling in holes that they need filled. And that means just sometimes I go, hey, we need you know this hour filled, and if it fits, yeah, sure, why not? I'll just do it. Um, so probably not something I really realised was an option, but have enjoyed since. Um, I guess looking after our mentorship here, it's still teaching and educating, but a little less formal. Whereas yeah. teaching a deacon, I find challenging but fun and enjoyable, mainly because for me. I'm not exactly the most uh, the tallest guy going around and maybe not the most old guy going around. So some of the students, not kids, because I keep saying kids, some of the students yeah. that I'm teaching at uni have had kids, way though. more life experience than me and I've done way more in life than I have. But I'm trying to stand up in front of them and educate them on the things I know. So that was probably a challenge at the start is, you know, not am I ready for it, but are they going to actually mm. listen to me? Um I guess that comes with anything. Some of our mentorship students, like one of them at the moment has a child. Like, how the hell yeah. do I teach you something? Like, you've got way but, more life experience than me. So. That's a real big imposter syndrome thing. Though. I still deal with, like, coaching people that have a bigger bench press than me. Yeah. Like, they're stronger than me, better than footy at me, and I'm yeah. trying to coach them how to do things. Like, it's Yeah, it's, and if we're going to go down that path, a lot of it, and this is common for a lot of coaches, is like, or... It's more, I think, more like sport-specific coaching. For example, let's say a football coach that played 200 VFL games. I'm not targeting anyone. I'm just throwing numbers out there. A VFL coach, a VFL player played 200, 250 games, whatever, and now coaching at local level. Let's say I go and take over their high-performance role at a local level. For me, it's like, okay, you've got all this experience. And for them, it's like, mm, does this guy really know what I've been through? So. Yeah. For us as coaches, it's taking on all those experiences that our clients give us and then putting together our own way of doing things. Yeah. And for them, I think it's a learning experience and it kind of correlates me back to uni. Is what can I uh, 
give to you that you can't give to me from a uni perspective is how can I teach you some of the things that I know from a life of things I want to learn off you you tell me everything you know and my big thing with teaching uni is I don't necessarily remember all I don't remember all of my demonstrators or tutors but no way for me I want to be someone that they in a few years time go hey Mitch I remember you going through this like can we catch up for coffee and go through that I don't necessarily have to be friends with them but I want to have a relationship even with the people that I'm teaching that in a few years' time, you can, we can re-catch up and nothing's really changed. Yeah. And for me, like that's something I didn't get at uni. And you'll know being through first-year uni, you kind of just get thrown head first and go, here's uni, here's a report, learn how to write it. There's no one really helping you along the way. Yeah, yeah. Although I've got to say, in my time at Fed, I'm probably different to yeah, yeah, every other actually. experience yeah. that I've heard of where we's, we did have a really good relationship with our tutors. But I know, I know that's rare. Yeah, yeah and like... And the biggest thing that I find on that is marking first-year assessments compared to marking third-year assessments. Like, there's a massive learning curve of bringing yourself up to a uni standard coming from a year 12 standard. So, how can I help bridge that gap and help first-year students be more comfortable at uni, I guess, is probably one of the bigger things as well. Splendid. Hey, um, any more for any more? Don't think so. I don't think there's any other questions. This is good. I enjoyed this one. We're sitting at 53 minutes at the moment. Good spot to end the podcast. Yeah, hey, will you I, come on again? I always come on again. You just have to yeah. ask. I'm, I'm an ask kind of guy. I'm going to say, I don't well, think I had any questions that people asked me. If it wasn't 10 a.m., I wouldn't have minded uh, drinking some whiskey with you and doing some <laughs> tasting. And oh, God, that wouldn't do well for you. Blowing my head off. <laughs> again. Again. Might do a 4 p.m. Friday podcast in a couple of months' time. Oh, I got one for Bailey. Bailey. Bailey Schmidt goes, how good were you at footy? Well, Bailey, probably not as good as what I thought it was. But no, as a junior, maybe okay. As a mid-teen to adult, no good because I just probably, and this is something that I didn't know if we are going to talk about because you don't necessarily know where I come from with a sporting background. No. But I just me, know you broke your ankle and that was it. Yeah, yeah, it was. But on that note, like nowadays when we talk about education, like I didn't necessarily have – I didn't do my rehab properly for starters because I didn't know. Yeah. Hence, this is why I started doing what I do. But from a sporting point of view, I didn't necessarily have the mental fortitude to go back and work my ass off to get back to where I wanted to go, which is probably why I stopped playing sport full stop. Is I like to be, I don't like to be good at everything, but I like to challenge myself in a way that I want to be, I want to strive to do well. I don't have to be good, but if I'm not putting in effort, then I don't want to do it because for me, it's like, why am I doing it? So from a sporting point of view, that's probably why I, Gave up that side of things. Um, so, if Bailey, do you answer your question? Not that great. Still waiting for my trophy to be delivered that you found one day in the deepest, darkest storeroom of Frankston YCW Football Club. Boy. Apparently, there's a there's a trophy in there somewhere. But Coach's award? Came back to play for more social aspects. But, uh, yeah, as a junior, okay. But too short, too slow. Yeah. That's about it, really. Anything more on that little list you got there? Uh, oh, apparently... Fat bar straight facts from Phil English. Phil English would like to know how much the the uh, fat bar weighs. Twenty three. Don't know. Seventeen kilos. You stitched him up. Ah, <laughs> sorry, Philip. <laughs> he quietly, not threatened me, just strongly advised that I bring that up. So that's right. that's something that he wanted to talk about. But no, sorry, Philip. Vertus specific question there. Uh, another one is why do you go to bed so late? Oh, this is a misconception. I don't think it is. No, it is. This is my point exactly. There's one day that I go to bed late. One day. And that's a Sunday because I do all my programming and all my coaching stuff on the same day. 
meaning that I may start at 3 p.m. and I may finish at 5 a.m. Mm. But, but I still get my adequate and required amount of hours of sleep. So I still plan, my life is planned around six hours of sleep, no matter what I do, or four and a half, because I know I can, <laughs> I know, but for me, that works for me. I know that I can survive off four and a half to six hours of sleep. And we're talking about sleep cycles and we'll get into this on another day, but that works for me. So if I still go to bed at 5 a.m., the only reason I do that is because I know I don't have to get up until 11 a.m. the next day. So misconception. There's only one day that I can, well, I do stay up late. But for example, if I come here for a 6 a.m. shift, my first alarm goes for 4.30. So I'm in bed by 10, 10.30, 11 o'clock that night before. So misconception. Yeah. Even I've got to agree, there are a lot of people thriving on six hours sleep. I think we do get married to our got to have your eight hours, but a lot of people doing well off Same six. as recovery. Um, Same as recovery. It's what works best for you. That is not me. I need seven. If I'm not getting seven, I'm done. Yep. So I know I can survive on that. So misconception question, not always up to 4 a.m. Uh, I've seen some weeknights up till three watching American sport and yeah, soccer. And worth it though. Worth it. Um, and I think Benny Reisenberg is- What got- happened to the Celtics? Hey, don't do that to me. Don't do that. Still fresh. It's a wound. Uh, Benny Reisenberg, what are your biggest influences and sources of education in the industry? Oh, sorry, Benny. I must have missed that one. And I'm going to go with a, maybe not a controversial answer, but something that's becoming a little bit more prevalent, I would say, over the last two or three years. I get most of my resources from Instagram or Twitter. Mm. Same. Copped a bit of shit early on for, not me personally, but it copped a bit of shit for being a place of resource because, as we know, there's so much... It's a jungle. Random gibberish, but your ability to decipher through that information and find people that have different ways of thinking about things. And I'm not saying that there's a right or wrong way of doing things. You're taking in a little bit of information from everyone. So for me, I'm a visual guy. I love to learn by looking or watching. Yeah. Um, So Instagram is a great platform for me, Twitter, because, you know, I know 3% of what I could know around this kind of stuff. And even though I've been doing it for six years and feel like I have a pretty good grasp on how I like to do things. Like there's still little things you can take in from everyone. So yep. for me personally, Instagram, Twitter, I still really like reading research. Um, jump on Google Scholar or now that back teaching at Deakin got access to the Deakin library. So typing in a few key search words and if you've ever done a data unit at a uni, you know, you know how to write in your search words to find something specific. So I still like deep diving research and I probably don't get as much time as I like to do any more on that kind of stuff, but they're kind of my two main uh, sources of information. What about you? I'm going to say exact same. Um, and also probably financially investing in the mentorship programs of those that are well established above you. So if you're looking up to someone that's doing really good work and it resonates with you and you want to learn off them, I think surrounding yourself with the people that are doing better than you and the impositions that you want to be in, is the best way to go about it. So it's why I got a job at Virtus. It's why I, you know, once or twice a year will invest in an online mentorship from a, you know, account that I follow and I really enjoy. So I've just done Angus Bradley's late last year. Um, I hope to do a Melbourne strength culture one later this year and I've done a heap in the past too. So just investing in that stuff. Like, yeah, it's a financial commitment that's going to pay you back tenfold. Yeah, I love courses. I love being yeah. on weekends because one, you get the great aspect of, for me, visually seeing things and how people teach and learn because you kind of get to the point where, let's say you do the same course a few times and for an example, Greg's FMS courses. I think I've done... I would have done it in excess of 15 different courses at different times because the best part about them is you can go... 15 different FMS ones? Between the whole system, between yep. FCS, FFMA, yeah, FMS. I, I reckon it'd be close to 15 now. 
but there's little things you pick on each and every different time. But also, yeah. the things you pick up on is how Greg communicates it is how it's different to how I communicate it. So, we're talking about personality community and it's how to communicate diff- the same thing to different cohorts and different types of people. So, for me personally, it's not necessarily about the information specifically involved in a mentorship or a course or anything like that. It's how do you decipher and then take it out to someone else. Yeah, that's it. And when I did my first ever short course in early 2017 at a Christian Woodford workshop, and it was when I was doing my health and PE and had a Cert 3 in fitness and had no experience whatsoever and didn't know shit, like it was mind-blowing to me. Like the whole weekend was just all these massive nuggets of information. And now I'll do a oh, short no. course or a course and... Oh, here we go. And it's just, you know, you don't go there to get your mind blown. You just go to get, you know, a, just a little a little uh, piece, just a little piece of information and you go and use that. So if you can learn just one little thing from each course, then yeah, you're laughing. He's just ruining our visual representation here for those yeah. listening. Sorry for those Lachlan's, on YouTube. Yeah, Lachlan's being a pest as per usual. Adios. Bye-bye. Um, I think that's... Uh, that's about it from a learning perspective. Yeah. I mean, I, I learn from people, so. Yeah. Coffee. Like, sign me up. Let's go have a chat. That's just kind of, doesn't necessarily, and for me now, it's not necessarily learning, you know, about cluster sets or this loading scheme to this and that because at the end of the day, who cares? doesn't matter. Doesn't, yeah. <laughs> and it's something you learn by doing. It's learned by experience. It's, it's not about sets and ramps. It's about people, so. Learning different things from Jeff, who we all know Jeff, character. Tyler's Tyler, favorite question. What's, yeah. what's the go with what's Jeff? What's the go with Jeff? Oh, boy. Um, Jeff, but, if you're watching, what's the go? <laughs> but even like those that aren't in a health and fitness or sports science industry, you can still learn from those people. So it's not just about sets and reps and articles and these drill for that and everything. So I mean, I've learned the most on the job just by coaching. Yeah. of what I know is just from doing the job and fucking up and learning off people better than me. 10% formal education. Can't argue with that. Lovely. Um, We'll leave it at that. Yeah, I think that's all. I'm I'm quite happy with that. I don't think there's anything else anyone wants to talk about. No, not at all. I'm cooked. I'm done. Early morning for you. Very early. Uh, Been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for tuning in. Next week, Mr. Greg Day will be sitting down with Lockie Wallace. That is huge. That's going to go for three hours. That'll... (laughs) That'll go for two. Might, might have to be a three-parter. I'll be having a week <laughs> off. Um, good week to have a week off too. Lovely. Thanks for tuning in.